Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Welcome back to Grand Rounds. I recently read a statistic that doctors in the U.S. are leaving approximately $125 billion on the table, basically just due to poor billing and coding practices. And as I've said so many times in the past, doctors are just not taught the business aspect of medicine. You don't get it in med school. Most of us don't get it in residency. And so to try and help remedy this, I have invited Dr. Heather Signorelli to the show. And she is the owner of National Revenue Consulting, who helps private practices with their billing. And she's been extremely successful with it. So welcome to the show, Heather. I'm so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you having us on and just excited to help educate as many people as we can. Because like you said, I just don't think in medical school and in residency, we're taught a lot of these things. And so it's how can we band together as a community of physicians and help make sure that we're able to share that knowledge. You know, I've kind of looked back on it. In residency, we actually were given, I think it was a month, right at the end of our residency program to try and teach us how to bill and code, do that before we were let out into the world as, you know, baby attendings. But I always thought it was kind of funny. They didn't teach us that in the beginning. We must have left so much money on the table for those, you know, three years of residency that we did. But I still think we're lucky that we got any at all. I think most don't get any training. Yeah, I feel like that was an anomaly. I mean, I would say most of the practices that we help, they've gotten none. And then it's like you show up out of residency, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I manage patients Mm -hmm. and make sure, you know, I'm completely on my own now. And then how do you manage a business? A lot of times physicians are coming out, they're no longer in training, they're trying to open up their own practice. Maybe even if they are employed, they're still trying to figure out the expectations that their practice has on them. So whether you're employed or you're the owner of a practice, you're in that situation of going, shoot, I have a lot to figure out. And, you know, all at the same time, (laughs) all while seeing, you know, a gazillion patients a day. So it's hard. I feel for everybody, you know. Well, how did you get started and have this passion for helping others, you know, with their billing side of medicine? Yeah, you know, it's so I've always lived on the business side of medicine. So I was consulting in residency, consulting in fellowship. I'm a pathologist by background, and I just, I really gravitated towards that side of things and the regulatory side. And so then my career has really been on the business side of medicine, running laboratories. And what I recognized is that physicians didn't always have that enjoyment of it, or they just didn't have that opportunity to capture that knowledge. And so about two years ago, my husband actually quit his job after we had been speaking with multiple physicians who were struggling post-COVID. They weren't capturing the revenue that they needed. And we had a practice that was really reaching out saying, hey, can you help me? Can you just look at our numbers and figure out what's going on? And then that kind of evolved into us building a company. And really our passion is to educate to help physicians be able to capture the revenue that they deserve, especially for how hard they work, you know? So, so again, my husband quit the job so that he can run the business and we kind of 
started working and growing. And it's just been one steady growth over the last two years. And just, again, you know, the the feeling we get is when somebody calls in tears saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that, you know, we found you guys and we've gotten help and we're able to, you know, have money in our practice in a different way. So. And when you go in to help a company, do you help them? I mean, just the everyday coding, you know, are you coding appropriately? Are you getting all of the revenue that's available to you? Or do you help them with the collection side or do you do all of it? How does, how does it work? Yep. So we do all of it. I mean, we are a full service medical billing and coding company. So anything from like coding audits to, hey, I need you to come in and actually just take over our coding and billing for us. And so that can be anywhere from the you know beginning of the process, which we can talk about in a minute, all the way through working accounts receivable and denials, you know, patient AR, you know, basically managing from start to finish the entire billing process. And again, some will call us and just say, hey, we've got in-house billing. We just need a coding audit. And we can do that. And then other times it's, hey, we, you know, we need some help doing the whole thing. And so depending on what the practice needs depends on how we do it. But we're really flexible with really just making sure that they understand what their own process is. And then we can kind of help work together on optimizing that as we kind of get in there and figure out what's going on. So going back to that statistic that I read, you know, $125 billion being left on the table. When you meet with a new client, and I don't know if you can even give me an average, but on average, if possible, how much are you able to help them bring in additional that maybe they're leaving on the table? Is there a number? I don't think it's uncommon to see practices increase their revenue by 20 to 30% when you do all of the processes in place. And so, you know, when you think about the claims process and we can kind of go through that, There are multiple failure points along the way that if you don't have those buttoned up, if you haven't figured out, you know, the process around that, and if you aren't watching certain metrics to know that there is a problem, you don't even know that money's falling out the door or out the window. You know, it just kind of goes and you think, well, I'm getting paid. So I think things are going well, but then you don't realize like, oh shoot, you know, we've missed out on this opportunity for prior auths. We have these denials because of coding, or we have, you know, this patient AR that's continues to sit there. And so My hope is that people today, you know, walk away with understanding that there are metrics you can capture in your practice. They should be looked at frequently. And if they're not today, you can start with just a handful of them. And that's going to allow you to recognize, okay, do I have an opportunity or not? And how do I get started? Can we talk about some of those metrics? Do you have some that, you know, think are the most important that maybe we can guide some of the listeners to pay attention to? Absolutely. You know, I think I'll first explain the kind of the claims process so that the metrics make sense. So if you think about it, right, I'm a patient, I'm calling in and I'm saying, I'm so excited to see Dr. So-and-so, you know, your front office, they're registering the patient, they're getting hopefully all of their accurate demographic and registration information. And one of the most important things that happens in this phase is the office should be doing eligibility, right? Checking to make sure that that insurance is active. It's a plan that you accept, right? That it's somebody that, you know, you're going to, you are contracted with. And then, you know, the patient comes in. Another failure point is when that patient comes in, if you've done that eligibility, you should know if a copay or a deductible is due. And hopefully the practice is collecting that up front 
And then the patient's heading on back to see the patient or to see the physician. The physician then typically is the one coding. And that next failure point is, do your billing team, does your billing team take an opportunity to look at those claims and what's called scrub them? Make sure there's no missing modifiers or issues. And then the patient leaves. And then that's really when the billing company kind of comes in and takes over. They're dropping those claims. They're getting over to the clearinghouse. And they're hopefully getting adjudicated by the payer, you're getting paid. It's when that stuff doesn't happen, right? You get a denial, you get a rejection, you get something that says the payer saying, I, I, I'm not going to pay that. And that's where it's key for every practice to understand what are my denials. So the first metric I always encourage our you know, practices or any practice to, to measure is the denial rate. And you trend that month over month, and you don't just trend it, you actually say, what are my denials? Is it eligibility? Is it prior off? Is it coding? What specifically is getting denied? Because then if you can set a goal around, okay, I'm obviously not getting prior offs for my patients for certain procedures, that needs to be a process I put in place. So the first metric is really what is your denial percentage? And again, that's typically calculated by looking at the dollars of the claims that were denied divided by the total dollars that were charged. And typically you want that kind of in the five to 10% range. You expect denials, denials are always going to happen, but you want those as low as possible. And you wanna have visibility into why those happened. And so what we will often see is, larger practices, you know, three, four, five, six, or even larger doctors in a practice will have, you know, denials can catch up. They grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And then the billing team has a hard time catching up to that. And then what will happen is those claims will get too old and then you miss the money. And so if you aren't watching denials and one other metric, which we'll get to, then you get into a position where it gets unsurmountable and then it just gets hard for anybody to dig out. So denials are really important to track and trend. And then, you know, as those, you know, claims get paid, right? Money comes into the practice. Any money that is unpaid, whether that's unpaid by the patient or unpaid by the insurance company is sits in that accounts receivable bucket. So that's your bucket of money that's due to the practice. And this is important because both this is where it's so important to have both the office and the billing company communicating together because that bucket of money has to be managed. And you know, you have to manage the claims that are due by the insurance companies, manage those denials, follow up on those claims. I mean, it is literally like a revolving door. Okay, have I heard about claim 1234 today where you said you were going to pay me in 30 days? Where's that money? It is like babysitting. And then on the other end of that is with the practice, right? So the practice may be the one, depending on how you set it up, who has to manage the patient AR, right? How often are we, you know, sending out patient statements? Are the patients actually paying? Do we have a patient payment policy? And so that bucket of money is really important for there to be communication about. Is that patient AR growing? How do we manage that together? How do we, as an office and a billing company, make sure that you know that is being monitored and being watched? And so that second metric that I like to watch 
is really something that's called accounts receivable over 90 days. And that's represented as a percent. So it's a percent of that total AR bucket that's over the age of 90 days. And that allows the practice to know, gosh, do I have a problem? And how do I manage that problem? This sounds so labor intensive. I mean, how many staff members are you talking about that are required to take care of this? It depends on the practice. You know, I think it depends on the size of the practice. Software helps a lot, right? Software these days, your practice management software is really important. So choosing one, you know, if you're listening to this today and you're new in practice, picking the right software that's EMR and a practice management that's connected to one another, that can spit out reports easily, that can help you track denials is really important. I won't lie, some of this is manual. We have lots of trackers. My team thinks I'm hilarious because I like all the Excel spreadsheets. But sometimes that's kind of just what's necessary. You know, we are seeing more and more AI and more and more managed programs to help do this automatically. But it is still just a, there is a very manual element. And that's why you have to have the right number of people. You have to have the metrics that you can watch because that allows you to tell you if you have the right people on staff. And so metrics are just really important to really allow practices to know that they're not losing that money. Do you help businesses like with the negotiations when they take on a new insurance company, you know, what their rate is going to be for whatever office appointment or a delivery or whatever that might be? Do you help them on that side as well? Yes. And that's a very good point. Payer contracts is a big part of this, right? Making sure that you have your current payer contracts, that you know when those are ready for renegotiation and you try that and you stay very organized with, here's the five payers or 10 payers or 20 payers that I have that are part of my practice and I'm up for renegotiation for these five and I'm gonna send in those forms. So yes, we do have a credentialing side of the company that helps practices with that. And they're wonderful to work with. You know, Jade, who we just adore is, is lovely and just really helps keep the practices organized and keeps them on their toes to make sure that we're getting the stuff done when we need it to. You know, I know it's not our favorite task, especially after seeing patients all day, but it's really important to kind of have the right team members to make sure that's done right. I had a CPA on the show a few weeks ago, and he was saying that he goes in and reviews kind of similar things to what you're talking about, but he says he's been astonished that he's gone into several practices and they haven't renegotiated in 10 years. You know, it just let the contracts ride. That is not uncommon. We have also seen that. And, you know, I think it's just, it's easy for time to go by, you know, you look and, you know, your kids are older and the years have passed by. What do they say? The days are long, but the years are short. And so (laughs) those little things to get, to get lost kind of in the hustle and bustle. And so I think it's really important to just kind of know, okay, what are those five or six key things that I'm going to do every month, every quarter, every year and focus on that and, you know, and have a good team around you. And again, whether that's in-house or outsourced, you've just got to have those processes put in place. I'm, you know, a laboratorian by heart. So of course, processes and policies and procedures are my favorite, but that is what kind of allows people, I think, to keep doing things on repeat. And we're a big proponent of getting into a practice and going, okay, how do how are we working today? Okay, let's go through each step, put it in writing. And then, okay, we're going to take this piece of the process and we're going to work on that and help improve that. Okay, we're going to take this piece next and that piece. And so you kind of piece it all out. And it does take time. This is, you know, it's not a snap of the fingers, but it is, it's worthwhile. 
at the end. It sounds like it, I mean, it amounts to, I don't know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially for a practice. Yes. To have this done. It is real money. I mean, and even if you're a smaller practice, you know, those dollars mean more. So it's important to make sure you're doing things the way you should. And that way you get the money you work hard for. We were talking before the show and you were, you know, talking about going in and doing a complete audit when you take on a new client and maybe it's the billing and coding up front that they're having problems with, or maybe it's the accounts receivable or, you know, any one of a thousand problems in this continuum of trying to get paid for your work. Can you talk a little bit about the billing and coding itself? Yes. I mean, it. I think it's hard, right? Because like you said, we're not trained a lot in medical school and you know, all of the different codes that are there and, you know, CMS and everybody else likes to change it every three to five years. So, <laughs> you know, look at the EM codes. Those all changed. They changed for the clinics and they changed for the hospital. As we kind of get into a practice, right, we're stepping out current state. That's kind of the first, sometimes, you know, several weeks, several months, depending on the size of the practice or how manual things are. And then once you kind of figure that out, then you can kind of dive into the deep you know, issues or opportunities and figure out, okay, we've got things going on the coding side, for example, you know, does the documentation meet medical necessity in order to code or are you under coding and you could be getting more money. And so coding audits are a good thing for any practice to do about once a year where you're going in and seeing, okay, I need to look at 20 to 30 charts, depending on your volume per doctor, per year and say, how am I coding? And then you can look at documentation, you can look at CPT codes, you can understand, am I undercoding? Am I overcoding? How do I improve? And so that's an important part of this, right? And you know, it's just part of the process. When you think about the whole claims process, I would say it's evenly split sometimes on where we see issues. It can be in that front end piece or it can be in the coding piece. And I think it's more just about how do we educate because at the end of the day, None of us got enough of the training, whether you got a little or a lot, it's probably never, ever enough. <laughs> and so how do we, you know, increase, you know, increase that knowledge so that folks understand what they should be doing moving forward? Any common mistakes that you can, you know, warn new grads about to try and avoid when they're starting into a new practice? The number one is just ignoring it completely. Just thinking like, it'll be <laughs> Fine. It's all good. It's fine. It's fine. It's all fine. fine. I think that's probably my number one tip is to say, you know, if you're new grad, or even if you have a practice and you're like, oh my gosh, Heather, this is really overwhelming. I've not done this before. Pick one thing, start small. And even if you're employed, you know, just understanding, you know, with your finance department, okay, let's just look at one thing that is going on with my own billing, right? looking at denials, looking at accounts receivable are two easy things to start with. Again, even if you're employed or if you're you own your own practice, start small. You know, even if it's an every other week or once a month meeting with your billers, if you've not done it before, start there. Say, show me my charges, show me my receipts, you know, show me denials, and then you build upon it, right? Rome was not built in a day. Start small, take a little piece at a time, and then you kind of build upon a KPI after KPI, and I think when you have a strong office manager, strong billing team, or both of those, they can kind of help guide and teach and, again, build one one small nugget at a time. And you'll look at a year later and you go, okay, gosh, look at how much I've learned and how much I know now. 
And then it doesn't become so overwhelming. So I know it's scary, especially if you've not done a lot of this before, but I tell you, anybody can learn it. We learned a lot of other harder things, you know, all those neuron pathways in the brain. So I think we can do it. <laughs> you make it sound, yeah, not so daunting. <laughs> well, you know, I will say, you know, for anybody who's listening, you know, take it slow. We all recognize it's hard, but it's important. Sounds like it. Now, if someone's looking to have their own practice audited, or if they're looking for a new billing company, how would they get in touch with you? So we have a website. It is nationalrevenueconsulting.com. And we also have a podcast, R-E-V-M-D, RevMD. And we are, you know, kind of giving tips of medical billing. So head on over there and you can listen to all kinds of things from patient payment policies to how to manage accounts receivable. Um, We try and make it, you know, bite-sized so that, you know, people can understand little things and take something to and put it into action. So I appreciate, you know, having the opportunity to be on. And of course, you can also email me at info at nationalrevenueconsulting.com. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You do. You just make this seem manageable. (laughs) We can do it all. So, and, you know, and I think any physician who's out there, you know, we went to medical school, right? So we can figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again. And I hope you'll all tune in again next week for Grand Rounds.